morning. Good morning, Jeff. Morning, Nigel. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Cheers. Merry Christmas. And a happy new year. Thank you, Nigel. Yeah, welcome to the Christmas edition of the Agile Podcast. Who thought we'd still be going this far in? I know. Ho, ho, ho. People must be listening. We're wearing our Christmas jumpers-ish. Some Just stay out. Added it more into the spirit than others. I'll so, take photos today. Yeah, so uh, you, you can't hear, you can't, oh, by it's Nigel here, by the way, special guest. I don't even get a mention anymore. They just don't even, I just turn up these days. They try and avoid me. Um, I'm wearing a fetching bear base number in beige. Paul is wearing a rather um, geometric red jumper. And Jeff has a massive stocking in the centre of his chest. Jeff's gone for comedy crosses jumper. Nigel and I have gone for more fashion. fashion Conscious yeah. fashion jumpers. Yeah, so Jeff's committed whole hog and the rest of us have just dipped our toe in the water. Half so true in jumping. life. Yes. As a, as a, as a, as a half ass jumper. No point in doing something unless you're going to do it properly. That's yeah, what exactly. I say. No, Jeff's motto in life. So yeah, what, what are we drinking? Special Christmas drinks? No? No, yeah. cider. Still oh, yeah. cider. Still cider. I would have had a mulled cider yeah. if they had a mulled cider. But the but pub we, we're in, which you probably shouldn't name and mention we should, and speak about. We should, we're in a, a, a place. It's still a pub, isn't it? This is this, this is, is called a, Flight Club. It's in London. It's in uh, the Shoreditch kind of area. Anybody going to make a joke? No. The first rule of our flight club is you don't talk about flight club. <laughs> yeah, okay. perhaps we should stop there. Um, another film Jeff hasn't seen. No. I have seen that one. Okay. Have you? Yeah. Um, I'm drinking a pint of Caledonian 3 Hop. Scottish, I'm assuming. Oh, Caledonian playing, Brewery. Playing on that theme, whether it is yeah. Scottish or not, I'm not sure. Um, and Nigel and I are drinking Simmons. Simmons cider. From Hereford. In a rather fetching glass, I would like to Very say. Very nice glass. So we say cheers? Did we do that? We did that this week. We'll do it again, why not? And a very Merry Christmas. Mm. Yes, Merry Christmas to everybody. And will this go out before Christmas, do you think? Uh, hopefully, yeah. yeah. We'll hopefully get this out before Christmas. Yeah, it's only, it's only Monday, isn't it? Yeah. Plenty, of yeah. Plenty of time for Paul to do it. There we go. Everybody it's knows what day we're, up. we're doing this now. Give it a giveaway. Yes. Try and get it out before Christmas this week. So what do you think? Uh, a review of the year, is that a good idea? Before we do the review, okay. I remember you did ask for some questions or some queries. Is it really dead? You got one. I think oh, you yeah. got one. What, do you remember what it was? Yes, from Mr. James Scrimshaw. What did he ask? From South Wales. From James Scrimshaw. I can't remember the question, but it was something I thought we'll probably, uh, we might lose our jobs if we answer that. Was my is immediate it? response. Okay, let me have a quick look. Let's see what it is. We're now furiously typing on our machines. It's something if we were, I think, somewhere in charge of the Scrum Alliance, what oh, would the yes. first three things we'd change? I think that was a question direct to Nigel. Ah, okay. Obviously, I'll, I'll, I'll defer to Nigel then. No, I don't defer to anything. I don't have any manifesto or statement on what I would change in the Scrum Alliance, except um, I would probably make one tonal change. Tonal? Yeah, a, 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 a style change for the Yeah. And I'd probably make a couple of changes in terms of content. Now, um, the Scrum Alliance, as you know, after years of, I'm not going to say inactivity, that's not fair, but years of stabilisation, refinement and organic growth, has now gone bang, big style. Loads of stuff going on in yeah. a thousand different directions. Yeah. So, the things I would do is, one, I'd just do a bit of product ownership to it, a bit of good product management, learn the ability to say no, yeah. and kill a few programs. Not because they're not too good, much going on. too much going on at once. Yeah. Too much simultaneous change, too many ideas, it just needs to filter out a couple of those. Okay. Some of them, for reasons we spoke about before, I think there's this um, 
this um, sub-licensed trainer idea. Yeah. This sort of, you know, how uh, someone like us could have basically an apprentice who works for us and do certified training, which would be lovely for us, but I think it's bad form for the apprentice and bad form for the industry and the movement. I'll kill something like that. And um, uh, another thing I would kill is probably some of the work that's being done in terms of expanding the Scrum Alliance outside of Scrum and Agile. I think that's interesting, taking Scrum outside Agile, but the minute it stops being Scrum, it's obviously really being Agile, it's kind of a, a weird space. They're doing some investigatory work there. Yeah, what kind of areas? Well, you know, setting up like a non-profit Accenture in a nice possible way, a, a venture that offers support to trainers and coaches and works with large enterprises to help them transform. Okay. Sounds like a nice idea, but it sort of takes the Scrum Alliance away from a charity-esque support system into being a more commercial entity. Yeah. And that's the total change I'll make, I think, um, with the newer leadership in terms of, not board, but management of the Scrum Alliance. Um, we're getting a very, if not careful, traditional focused approach, which has given us loads of new ideas and loads of new directions, which is really cool, but also taking us some old directions that really, as a movement ahead of the old world, we should not be heading. So I don't think the world needs another like consulting company, even if it's non-profit and even if it's run on really good principles. So things like that I would stop and just tweak us back towards the um, the main message of the Scrum Alliance, you know, community, education, advocacy. So you kill some programs. Yeah. But in a constructive way, not to hate them because I think just doing a bit less. Deprioritize well. them. Deprioritize them, yeah. Put them on the backlog. Mm. <laughs> oh, increase the focus. Yeah. yeah. And, and tonally, as a product person, as the other product managers, these bosses, just tweak the tone to be slightly more community based again, slightly more um, organizational, non profit, charity style, okay. a little bit less commercial stuff. Sorry, but you did you want that, Scrimshire. You did want that. Thoughts from you? Not this time, Jeff. I'll abstain from that. I, I just can't think. All right, well, Leslie, so based on what you said then, would you say this year has been a good year? Bad year? How would you describe this year? Oh, Out. Just in general. Three words to sum up this year from your perspective? Um, three words. Let me just think. I we, think. We, can cut, we can cut the thinking time. No, it's fine. No, it's it out. Edit out the, t- the pauses. We can, uh, we um, can, yeah. Make it spontaneous. No, <laughs> it's worth the thinking time is important to show. Two of you have too many glib answers off the tip of their tongue, and actually showing reflection and thought I think is important. And that's me just buying time. Mm. My year's been very interesting because um, Brexit. <laughs> What a sucker that is. Sorry if you supported Brexit, but you're wrong. Do you um, think that will affect... I mean, don't get too much into the commercial, I'm not, it's not a commercial yeah, question, yeah. but is it going to affect us, you, like yeah. how, how yeah, we definitely. work? Yeah, it will affect... We're not it, seeing any yeah. signs yet, I don't think, are we? I've lost work. Have you? Yeah, directly. Um, but we'll see commercials, but more importantly, it just puts a fracture down communities. So I work most, I've not worked with a solo British scrum team forever. Everyone on the scrum yeah. team is from some other country. Yeah. Especially in London where we are today, that most teams are made up of multinationals from a variety of nations. And that's together, a good thing. One world under scrum. Yeah. And, and this is just putting a fracture down that. And anything that fractures the growth of the world community is not good by me. True. Trump, similar thing. Yeah. I can't stand the man. I'm sorry if you can, but he seems to be a, a fraud and a liar. And worse still, Toblerone. I know. Have you seen, Jeff, have you seen what they've done with Toblerone? They've shrunk it. More than shrunk, they've taken the Alps and basically turned it into Belgium. Yeah. So it's like one spike, yeah. flat, one spike. Oh really? They've changed <laughs> yeah. the design of the Toblerone. No, to be fair, I've never really been a Toblerone fan, to be honest. 
Oh, Jeff, you're just going down to my estimation. Now. Uh, I always found biting it hurt the roof of my mouth. Yeah, well, we'll do that less now because it's less. less, yeah. less or you could try biting it in a different way. Right. Well, so yeah. don't bite it off like that. You know, was it? Um, uh, we've got the better, uh, Winnie the Pooh said, isn't it? You know, coming down the stairs and the, hitting his head on every step, bump, bump, bump. You know, mm. are you sure there must be a better way to come down the stairs when you had enough time to actually think about it? Mm, bumping down the stairs. Mm. Yeah, so the combination of those three has made the year, on a personal point of view, quite difficult. Mm. But um, in terms of Scrum and Agile, it's been very interesting, I mm. think, for me. Mm. What about you, Paul? I, just, I think it's been a busy year for me. I don't think I've had much headspace this year. Um, and even when I was expected to have quiet times, I've still been busy. I have a lot of stuff going on at home with kind of just housing projects and things like going on. So even when I came home, I didn't feel like I could have downtime that I'd probably appreciate, but I felt like um, I didn't really have much time. I don't think I feel I created much new this year. Yeah. I think I was, I've become a bit complacent this year. I think if I've been critical of myself, I think I've got too comfortable. I need, I need to push myself. So I had a bit, obviously the year before, 2015, I did the book. So the big, well, the book was a big creative endeavor for me. And then I kind of probably took my foot off the gas. It's been a year much. already? Yeah. Wow. So I, took, I think I took my foot off the gas consciously, but now I need to perhaps put my foot back on slightly harder next year. On the gas. Well, just, just to, a few more new, I want to do something new. So, you know, just to change things up a bit, give me something to different think about. Any got, ideas on that front? Yes. No. Um, no, I, I just need to give myself some time. I think some of it will be either a new course or just changing how I teach something. Maybe some personal development from my own perspective in a different area. I don't know what yet. I want to, it's a non-related thing, but I want to do more coaching outside of... I want to do some more rugby coaching stuff and I want to do some more rugby refereeing, probably. I was asked to do some refereeing the other week and I'd like to do some more of that. I think there was... So my club, my rugby club, gives me emails of, about stuff that might be interesting if you're a coach or a referee. And there was one um, sponsored event which was basically around how referee decision-making, how to make um, d difficult decisions in the heat of the moment, which I thought, just take rugby out of that context, that's probably quite an interesting thing for anyone of us to actually listen to. Yeah. About, you know, you're out of breath, you've run from one phase to another, you get to, if something's happened that you haven't, maybe haven't seen the yeah. full details of, how do you make a decision at that point in time? So just stuff like that, what I thought would be quite interesting as a perhaps a personal development outside of work, what I might dabble a bit more into if we've got some time. What about you, Jeff? Me, I'm doing some extreme survival skills. <laughs> oh yeah, tell us about <laughs> yes. that, Jeff. Yes. This is Jeff, something you offered to Jeff. me, Nigel, and we said, no, no. not a chance. We well, well, tell us about the that. idea of extreme prejudice, good with Jeff. Well, I'm going to come back to the prejudice thing in a minute, actually. But, um, no, I, I'm, I, I tell people too much about myself, and so I should be, be wary of that. Yeah, yeah. The kind of person I am, uh, when when I think I need something, I go for it, yeah. perhaps to the extreme. And so, for whatever reason, I decided I need to learn some uh, some some basic but what, man skills. Why? Why do you need to learn those basic skills? I just felt that I, I don't have them, and I think it's something that I would like to have. But you're very unlikely to find yourself in in a forest with a need to make a fire. But I would like to be zombies surrounding you. Yeah. I would like to be in a position where I could, should I find myself <laughs> in that situation. 
Um, and yeah. But you must be there's some kind of deep learning. I never scouts. So to, could you please expand on what you're actually going to do for yes. the podcast? We haven't explained it yet. So I'm going to go on a, a Bear Grylls Extreme Survival Skills five-day course in the Scottish Highlands, where I'll be trained to to catch my own food, to build shelter, to start fires, to safely cross rivers and abseil and things. And then for the last two days, I'll be dropped off on an island where I have to survive and escape. On your own? There'll be or- ten people. So you have to work as a team? I presume so. so and Bear, <laughs> Hunger Games style. And, and Bear Grylls is going to be heavily involved in no, this? he's or? designed it. Okay, he's so not there. he's not going to be there. Well, there, may be a video, there may be a video with him. Once, once he realises I'm coming, he might decide <laughs> yeah. to turn up. You are quite famous. After yeah, that's that. true. The famous chef once. But yeah, you must really, you've done that with the idea of there's some, not just about pure basic survival. So you're looking at something deeper than that, I surely. Think, yeah, there, I think there's a lot to be learned from putting people in an extreme situation. Um, and I'm going to try and link two things together. So I said I'd come back to Nigel's comment about prejudice and the idea of, you know, your idea of working as a team. I was reading this morning on the train. Um, did we say we're in London? Yeah, we did, did say we're in London. I'm on the train into London this morning about how uh, I was reading an article. The title of the article, the article was "You Are an Asshole," <laughs> um, uh, and basically its premise was the fact that despite the the, the certain outrage about. Uh, Brexit and Trump and how you know, that's that's other people being arseholes. We're all hardwired to be a little bit of an arsehole, uh, and prejudice is sort of hardwired into us to a degree, and we're all a little bit racist. And the the, the basis of this this argument was that um, historically, evolutionary wise, tribal wise, we're hardwired to notice when a when a member of another tribe enters our enters our space. And it's based on fMRI, which which has its own doubters at, at the moment, but noticing areas of the brain when when a member of uh, another race is flashed up on a screen of pictures in front of you it's not necessarily that people are scared or angry or disliking but they just it's flagged that this person is different now what i found interesting about this article was not that because i regularly say people people like people who they tend to think are like themselves i think that's fairly well established and building up rapport is quite useful but what they found was that once you've established what your group is, so defining your in-group, not necessarily by race or by gender or anything like that, so um, however you, as a team, for example, then that part of the brain is no longer flagged up when someone that looks different to you, as long as they're considered to be part of your team. Mm-hmm. So you can define, your, it's quite fluid what your group is and how you define an outsider. So them and us still happens, mm. and we still pigeonhole people that way. But it's very fluid, and so you can consciously decide who is them and who is us. Yeah, I saw a study on something like that. I can't remember the details. So this is like a very half-assed interpretation, but it was something on the lines of getting people to perform cooperative and combative games in a, yeah. in a big room. But before they they all come in the room, these hundred people, they make them reach in a bowl and pull out an object like a red square or a blue triangle, right. or like a yellow circle, and you stand with your fellow token holders yeah. for a few minutes just waiting then you go off and do these competitive and cooperative games right. and if I remember what they said they were saying something along the lines of that people would favour people with the same token yeah. even though they had no connection beyond yeah. randomly picked token really? starts, so they would favour them in competitive games and favour them in cooperative games because yeah. we've literally tried on a token within seconds yeah. really? I don't know the full details on it, it, was, it was in, yeah, I read so it we, we kind of latched onto those even yeah. those very basic yeah. connections yeah. that we found together yeah. The, yeah. So the combative and collaborative thing, I'm going to jump yeah. on it. Yeah. I know I could yeah. use the wrong words there, but the, the second, almost like a footnote to this article, which I think was worth expanding more, though unfortunately yeah. it didn't, was that when, when pressed, when time pressed, 
people generally favoured a collaborative approach as opposed to a selfish one. Yeah. So when they were really pushed for time, they chose to collaborate rather than compete. But when they had time to think about it yeah. more, yeah. they were a little bit more selfish. Yeah. I, I was, I, I don't know, just instinctively I was quite surprised by that. Yeah, you, you think that's counterintuitive, isn't it? You think it would be the other way around. I always thought so. You yeah. tend to look after self-preservation kicks in when you've got limited time left. That type of thing. <coughs> but, but maybe you reach out to the team when you're struggling. There's a social well, animal. Well, I don't know. know. Would you? This is the social animal thing again. Are we more cow, you know, the wolf? Well, even wolves are social animals, aren't they? Mm-hmm. You know, when the push comes to shove, do you go for the, the social unit, the, that, that, that collaborative uh, environment? Mm-hmm. I still don't think we fully got that down in terms of well, science, psychology, anthropology, whatever. But the idea of the family unit, there's something more than just you and your individual relationship yeah. with your people. I don't think people really want to be alone. No. I don't think really No. Like, don't get me wrong, I get, I get my times when I think, you know, I just yeah. want to go and sit in a, sit yeah, on a boat yeah. on my own somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, in generally, we want, we yeah. want to have well, social So you're going to be in a situation where you are literally on a desert island with very little, apart from people who have the same skills as you or similar skills and uh, objective to survive. Yeah. You ha- unless you feel you can do it by yourself. You've got, to, you've got to work together. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting... With people you've, very, you've only known for three or four days previously. But I, I've said to people, so people often ask me about team building. It's like, you know, I'll, I'll happily spout on about self-organising teams and the power of collaboration. Uh, people say, yes, but you've got to be able to trust these people. Say, yes, yes, you do. And they say, the response is, well, trust takes time to build. And I, and I get that, but I believe that trust can be accelerated. And there's no better accelerated than being put into a crisis situation yeah. with people and yeah. resolving it together. Yeah. So throwing yourselves into it, I think it's a fake situation. No one's going to die. No matter how many insurance forms no. I have to sign. They're not going to let you. Disclaimers, yeah. I'm not going to die. Although, (laughs) on an aside, we'll come back to this, but um, I saw this on the BBC News website recently, that uh, 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 the Russian TV uh, have promoted a sense of the Hunger Games televised. You think it's not real? I think it's it's marketed, because they they said, yeah, murder and rape is all fine, anything goes, but but you'll still be subject to Russian laws. So they're saying, it can happen, but you'll go to jail afterwards, which means... That can happen in the real world anyway, can't it? Murder and rape can happen in the street today, but you'd still be subject yeah. to the laws. Yeah. So but it's no different to real life, they're just using it to well, I thought I thought that made me think of that, that you know, people will... Lord of the Flies type behaviour. We are getting closer and closer to that on some of the television stuff. Yeah. The, like the disconnect of entertainment to reality. But you do see that on that, on that interesting thing. <laughs> I'll come back and we'll come back to it. I'm a celebrity. Yeah. So are you've you? got... You. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very quick. Yes, I am. Very quick. Um, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Um, was just finished in the UK. Yeah. Um, there's a group of I don't know how many are, ten, so ten, twelve celebrities that they. I'm sure they put them in there with the hope that they will argue and fight. But largely this year, they that kind of adversity, that kind of um, basic survival technique is what really brings total strangers to find. You have to find. It feels like they have to find some sense of commonality and common ground. Just to get, just to make the next two weeks, whatever it might be, mm. survivable. So one last thing to connect it back to Jeff to yeah. this topic is, but don't you feel with some of those shows that actually the point is is to create controversy? Yes. As a celebrity in there, I may know that I'm being hired to be a bit of an ass yes. in that show to make a bit of a show yeah. to give a bit of drama and tension. If we all get on nicely, it's bad TV. Yeah. Bringing it back to your point, Jeff. So this is where my cynical hat comes in. Okay. Like, there's ten of you on the island. How many is going to be on this island? Twelve of you. 
on your bad girls. Dead bad girls ten, right? I'll be interested to know if they do anything duplicitous, like yeah. one of those is a mole or something. Yeah. Just to stir things up. That would be interesting. But it's not televised, is it? It's no, just no, on TV. No, but it's based still, on the, it's still, it should be on TV. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently Famous he's done Watts. a show called The Island and it's based on that. On the, no, I haven't seen it. I imagine you have to make a raft and sail off on there, I imagine. But, um, I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, so but again, you, this is another thing. This is another thing behind me. I don't really read all the the details. Jeff will come back I with a full up. beard, like Tom Hanks castaway style. Do you think I he'll come back? That. Do you think he'd be a leader? <laughs> do you think he'd be a leader or a follower on the island? Leader, be a facilitator. Jeff will be a servant leader. Servant leader. He'll that's be interesting. From, when you come from back, good to great, actually genuinely debriefing with yourself and saying, do you know what? Did I play out my principles and values yeah. under those tensions, or did yeah. I? Do you have to put on the application? Do you have to put anything that you want to learn about yourself? Yeah. You do. Yeah. Interesting. I'm not going to say what I put. No, definitely. <laughs> no, I don't expect to share it. But I just wonder if it, if they yeah. view it as. Yeah, yeah. This is. They don't accept everybody. Don't they? Apparently not. I had oh. to go through it. I had to go through an approval. Process. You get interviewed and vetted. No, it wasn't. I was no, not an. They got interviewed. Check, they but it was an application it. form. And, and uh, an email conversation. So. Oh wow! And you were up to scratch. Wow. Well, maybe maybe I was the only person that applied. <laughs> You'll be there on your own. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Good luck. Thanks. Yeah, you'll need it. No, you'll be fine. Send us a message in a bottle or something. No, but um, yeah. So last well, thing. Well, we'll, yeah. We'll talk about like year in review. Yeah. I was having the same feeling as you. I put a lot of work in last year, the year yeah. before, in building new ideas and concepts. Yeah. And I did a couple of keynotes last year, or keynotes in inverted commas last year. Yeah. And so I'm kind of quite tired now about what's my next new idea, where yeah. am I going with this? So I said on Twitter, I'm not sure I totally meant it, but I said I'm going to have sabbatical on conferences. I'll go to them, but I'm not going to present at them. Yeah. I just think, you don't want, I've seen some old agile gurus present the same thing forever in yeah. a loop, and people don't need to see that, and that's not so interesting. Right. So, um, I may do a couple of user groups or something, mm. but I think I'm going to take my foot off the gas for the conferences themselves, and just sit back and have a think. Mm. But having said that, I then, the minute I said that, I started coming up with new ideas. <laughs> it's always the way, isn't it? But we'll see. Can you re- re- reduce the pressure on yourself? Yeah. 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 By, by not having something to yeah. submit the creativity. Yeah. yeah. It's a good thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, no shame in that at all. Yeah. Give yourself some more space. Yeah. So that's why you know. So I got some ideas I'm gonna work on. I'm not sure they're they're definitely not commercial. I'm not sure they're even interesting. But I'm gonna grind those out in the first half of next year. I think do a bit of work on them, do a bit of research on them, see yeah. if I can do something with them. Just okay. see how that goes. Cool. So Jeff, your year in review in three words. Um. Hmm. Fluctuating, personal, rewarding. Do we do your three words? I don't know. I don't think so. That's three words. Yes. Oh, I don't other. know. I say that a lot. Um, tiring. Yeah. Um, Frantic. Mm. Um, I think the third one. Was it something about? Let's say house. Mm. Yeah, your new home. 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 
I feel like I have more of a home this year than I did last year. It's more personal. You've definitely made it your own, haven't you? <laughs> That's really good, really good. Mm. And I like that. I want to be at home this Christmas. I'm looking forward to being yeah. at home within my... An Englishman's house in his castle, that type of thing. Like that, looking forward to that feeling on Christmas Day. Just the four of us, me and my, me and my, my wife and kids. It's just four of us. Christmas dinner, lovely. Yeah, just four of you for Christmas. Yeah. We like that. We did that last year. It worked out quite well. And it's just nice. We make a point now, turning our phones off. We tell the kids. So say, we, kids, phones off now. <laughs> yeah. We tell our kids to go and hide our phones, which is a dangerous uh, yeah. task in itself because you might not get them back, or they might come back. After being flushed down the toilet, or something. No, but we said because, and then my kids are very conscious of the fact that me and my mummy and daddy are on their phones a lot. So they, we say, take our phones away and hide them for two two days, Christmas Day and Boxing Day, and not use our phones. So cut down the distractions, spend some time, get a few board games out, play some cards. You know, go back to similar to go back to basics, go back to old ways of communicating. Love board games. Mm -hmm. Oh, love board games. You love favourite board game? <laughs> um, see, favourites is something I've never really been very good at. My kids always ask me, what's your favourite this, what's your favourite yeah, food? Yeah. I don't really have it. I'm, I'm very, as the mood takes me. But I, so I'll, there's a game that I was introduced to by Mitch Lacey called Ticket to Ride, which is an American game, quite like yeah, that. Yeah. Apples mm -hmm. to Apples, another American game, quite like that as a board game. But I'm also quite like the, the traditional ones, the Monopolies, the, yeah, yeah. the Scrabbles and Cluedos and things like that. Cluedo? I've had Cluedo for a long time. It's interesting because there's a, a cafe opened up in Bristol. There's a games cafe. Yeah. You hire a table, like here for darts, you hire a table and play board games. Oh, really? But they're mostly the modern ones that you're describing. So a friend and I went for, um, I think, his birthday. Just for a, an hour or so, we played a game called... Um, <coughs> Oh, I can't remember the name. Infection or Pandemonium. Oh, Pandemic. Pandemic, yes. Brilliant game. Brilliant game. Great fun. Just yeah. the two of us. Yeah. Really great fun. And so As those... Smith types yeah. Yeah. As Will Smith once said. What did he say? Just the two of us. Yeah. Just the two of us. You and I. <laughs> But I found it really fun, and those adult games can give you a lot. But you don't need to have like a video game with it all explicitly played out for you. You can have something quite abstract and then fill it with your own life, your own story, your own yep. storytelling. That's really enjoyable. A good game, a simple I game. feel terrible actually bringing this back to work, but Pandemic was... So there was a phase a few years ago when I, um, Gene Tobaker and I were looking at using games, like board games, yep. as analogies, yep. or, or to help teams train. Mm -hmm. And we looked at things like... Um, Oh, what was the, the bunny one? There was uh, something like Attack of the Killer Bunnies or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Carl Scotland and, and I played it and we thought maybe because there was, there was games, that game you had, you had cards where you couldn't see mm. two turns in a row, so it was yeah, like a delayed yeah. feedback yeah, loop. Yeah, I think we were yeah. trying to bring those. And Pandemic was one I played with Porsche Tongue in an in yeah. a airport lounge somewhere yeah. and that's a great thing because you have to work together it's not about beating the other person no, no. you all have to work together yeah. with different yeah, skill yeah. sets yeah. To, to save the world yeah. Uh, so yeah that was one of the games that we thought that could be a good analogy for an agile team absolutely I'm a huge fan of cooperative games yeah. I used to play competitive games as a child I was one of those nerds with Warhammer and all this <laughs> never lost Ever, yeah. ever lost five, six years, never lost. But at the end, it was getting so stressful to win. <laughs> I'd never cheat, but I'd have to like rule Smith and have a new ingenious plan yeah. to defeat them the next time. And yeah. you can only run out of plans so many times. So I've really gone off competitive games. That's why I really like cooperative ones, whether it's computer games we don't play much or the board games. <coughs> Cooperation over uh, competitiveness mm. uh, should be an agile concept. Mm. Yeah. 
There's another, so if you're interested in games, there's another game called Flux, which isn't a collaborative game, but it's one where you have, the rules are constantly changing, so you have to keep adapting your yeah. strategy to win the game. It's a good game. But I do like Pandemic. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard there's a new Pandemic, uh, it's like a saga version, where you play it just once. Because oh, as you play it, no, no, but what it is, um, you, haha, <laughs> thank you for, um, you play, it starts Sorry. off like Pandemic, but the game evolves. New rules come up, you describe okay. it flux. It's a narrative over the game. That's why you only play it once, because the narrative only works once. It's new okay. things are released and discovered. But by unveiling the game and the game going so much broader mm. and larger, that could be quite an interesting experience. Cool. Yeah. Right, well, I think we're due on the hockey. <laughs> yes, so we're now going to play some maybe, darts. Just maybe we'll come back and we'll stick something two stages. on. Maybe, maybe it's a two-parter and there'll be a, this just a nice little musical interlude. Yeah. But if not... Merry Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> but I, think, I think we will come back. I think we will come back. Oh, we'll I think so much more Let's not commit ourselves. No, it's fine. Leave all, all the options open. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, Merry, Cheers Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Well, we'll welcome back for part two. Part two. We've moved on. We're now in the globe. Or Keats at the Globe. Oh yeah, we're in, we're in the Keats bar. Is, on on is, is it on Liverpool Street? It's near Morgate Station. It's okay. not far from Morgate, yeah. It's quite a, quite a traditional looking but I think it's got a bit of history to it. I reckon uh, John Keats, the poet, drank here. Yes, tell me a bit, about, me John a bit about John Keats. Tell me a bit about John Keats, John. I mean, before he was a poet, he was... Uh, he, he could have been a could have been a medical guy, couldn't he? Really, he could have been a surgeon, I think. But you I think, think really? I think he he gave up because it took up too much of his writing time. Now, interesting. I think he died quite young as well, didn't he? He was only about twenty. How, how old was he? Yeah, I'd say mid twenties. Oh, really? Wow. Something like that when he died. That's incredible, Jeff. For a for a national icon such as that. You know, so Otis much Redding. About Otis Redding died at twenty three as well. Before, be, before sitting on the back of a bit became famous. He died, didn't he? Yeah, died in a plane crash. Oh no. Yeah. Anyway, on, a, on, on that happy note, yeah. here we are. Keep it light, Welcome yeah. Yeah. Keep it light. Chris, this is like the um, the down part of a Christmas Carol. Yeah. Yeah. Where they go through the um, ghost of Christmas past, yeah. ghost of Christmas present, and the Christmas yet to come. Yeah. So uh, so there we are. Yeah. So we've moved on, and now I'm drinking uh, a beer. What's it called? I've forgotten what it's called. Huh? Firestone. I think it's called a Firestone. Jeff is now wandering off to find out. Firestone Easy Jack. <laughs> Easy Jack. I like the hard Jack. Yeah. Uh, Nigel, you're on a... A Mortimus? A Mortimus Cider? I think mean, Mortimus is a Suffolk Cider, I believe. Sort of mid-percentage, mid-flavoured. Not too sweet, not too dry. Clear, not cloudy. Never drink a cloudy cider, Jeff. Uh, no. So it's a Westerns. Westerns. Oh, it's from my way then. Yeah, Sunset yeah. way. Good work. And Paul's had enough of that and he's on to the vodka. Yeah. Vodka and vodka lemonade. Paul, how does your vodka taste? Just like all the vodka. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, vodka connoisseur as I am. I can't believe Otis Redding died so young. You, you, tri- you checked it out, and am I nice, telling the truth? Nice disbelief, Jeff, and he's now checking on Wikipedia. Died in a, a small plane crash with another soul singer into a bog or something. <coughs> Down there went tumbling 20, into a bog. 26. 26. I said 23, I apologise about that. You'd have been marked as incorrect on a quiz show for that day. Yeah, but it was close enough. I would have said like 50 or something, so Jeff did well. I was interested, I didn't know that. So, part two of the Christmas podcast, ho ho ho. 
we have uh, part one under our belt, looking back at the year 2016. Oh, we're not, so we're not quite at Christmas yet. If, if Agile Santa Claus could bring you one present, what, what, would, you, what would you like an Agile present to be? Full, full-time Scrum Master. Full-time Scrum Master. And apart or, from pear tree. Yeah, that's actually that rhymes, isn't it? But um, people believe me. <laughs> people believe me when I tell them that, that it's, it might be a good idea. That would be nice. But people get. I don't get. I never understand that. People get the idea of full-time firemen. They don't expect their firemen to have a hobby. You well, know, some firemen are part-time. No, they're part-time, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but in America and stuff, the rate of fire is far higher than in Europe, where yeah. they're full-time. So it yeah. should be quite clear in that. You know, yeah. The idea of being busy is not the same as being available and productive. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's that manufacturing mentality again, you know. Hands to the grindstone, you know. It's just it's so old school, isn't it? It's just so irritating. I think that's taking that a little bit further. You know, I think you guys are you're, you're not, certainly not a million miles away from my view that ultimately scrum masters should be redundant. They should be in a they shouldn't be needed. Yeah. Uh, and the, re- the way that you get that to happen is for the rest of the team and the organisation to step up and effectively model those values and protect those values. Yeah, and firemen, part-time firemen, they are part of the community, aren't they? Yeah. That's something that, yeah, almost, I'm sure there's a phrase for it, but their, their day job is something else, but they're also almost like the territorial army kind of thing. Yeah. Lifeboat men in the UK, yeah. a lot of lifeboat men yeah. part-time. Yeah. But, but, but the lifeboat thing comes first. Mm-hmm. I've told this story a hundred times, yeah, but I went on... Drop anything else. Yeah, yeah. I, I literally had this. I was on, on a school trip in Tenby, about ten years old. Uh, we're in a bakery. We're looking around a bakery. Now, my name's Baker, so I'm loving this. Like, bakery. <laughs> looking around the bakery. An industrial bakery, not like a little small one. Anyway, this guy, I remember to this day, a guy taking a tray of a tray of uh, bread at an oven, and there's a bell being down by Tenby Docks. And I remember this day, he's taking the tray out of the oven, he just lets go of the tray in one movement, the thing is banging on the floor, and he runs to the front door. And of course all the kids are like, ah! and looking at the bread on the floor, and you know, and, and it was quite interesting, that's the idea that, it was a lifeboat guy, and I've never seen a man actually run full pelt into that moment in my life, my dad was a big guy, always ambles, and this guy just went through the door, went out the door, and down the dock. Yeah. And it was so interesting, it was like, wow, you know, that, that, he's a baker, but he's a, he's a lifeboat man first. But my, my one uh, uh, counterpoint to the idea of scrum masters being obsolete is just the idea of elite sports. Elite sportsmen have coaches, even though they understand their sport backwards and forwards, up and down. Uh, you know, I, I can definitely see scrum master as process wonk, scrum master as facilitator, scrum master as a as, as scrummy person, even as change agent, maybe, baby. But I still think there's a place for a role for someone to act as priest or something like that, someone who can listen and Socratically question, just be there for the team. I, I could definitely see that role um, existing in longer term teams, especially even mature ones. You know, like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Andy Murray. He's got a tennis coach. Because he's, a, don't have a tennis coach, he's, but because he's an individual sportsman. Sports yeah. So, yeah. My, my, as a coach, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah. there's a big yeah. part yeah. of me that leans yeah. towards what you're saying there. But to me, the best teams out there will, will hold each other to account and they will provide that service to themselves. Yeah. Um, so they, but Andy Murray's on his own, isn't he? Yeah. So but still, but even, so even on his own, so he's, he's doing a complex piece of work with many variables. He, his coach is not there to even tell him what to do. It's there to be that mirror concept. Yeah. I just don't. I, I don't know. I'm open to it, but I don't. 
I don't know, as a species, are we so self-aware and able to do that without a mirror? It's not management, it's not, I would say Scrum Masters, but having someone to help us mirror and discuss ideas with, I, I don't know. But that's why I, I would love teams I work with to have that problem, you know, that the roles, because most people anticipate the role too early, because yeah, yeah, yeah. they haven't got money, yeah. or because, you know, they're, they're troublemakers, not because they're actually uh, aware. But I think it's a good goal to aim for as a Scrum Master, yeah. how do I make the team self-sufficient? Very, very few teams get me. Yeah, in fact, I don't focus in general, just people who are hired in should be looking to make their team self-sufficient, the organisation self-sufficient, and many don't. They're like the drug dealer dealing agile, and they're, they're, all, they're always dependent on them. That's not great. That white knight syndrome. Yeah, yeah. That was something I saw on Twitter, wasn't it, the other day? I think it was again James Scrumshire said, Is this now a role? And he was referring to the, the job advert saying senior agile coach. Yeah. But do you remember when, why we use that term a bit in BT? Senior agile consultant, it was called Yeah, we use that term a bit in BT. Why was that? Well, it was to just hand it to the older generation. Well, maybe, maybe I was a bit naive. To me, it was about establishing senior support for the change right. within the organisation. Finding somebody who has a senior level of influence and authority and experience, and getting them on board. And, and I'm sure it didn't play out that way in reality, but that was the idea behind it. I think. Well, I don't, I, in, in recruitment terms, those words you use there, experience. What did you use? Senior agile consultant was the phrase. That yeah, but you used the phrase. You used words to describe it, which was authority. Influence, influence, experience, experience. In a recruitment sense, I don't think that's the type of person they're looking for. I, I think they're maybe looking. They're looking for knowledge. They're looking for people that competence. Oh yeah, for competence. Yeah. I think that's an internal role. Yes, that's that's essential. But didn't we used to call ourselves lead agile coaches in BT? Did we? Well, I thought we did. Well, we did that. Maybe you did. I, I think I did. I think we did well. But we used to have lots of agile coaches who were part timers who didn't know what they were doing. There was no village of old. Do you remember they had all those guys on the on the platforms and everything? Maybe that was after I left. Maybe. <laughs> Probably not. When things um, went downhill. When you stopped travelling, like two years before you left. Um, uh, but yeah, so I could see people trying to distinguish between, like, yeah, yeah, you really are an agile coach, and you're not, you know, yeah, you're saying you're an agile. But coach. it's all, for me, it's also a, a signal that it's a bit of a tell, really, that, that the organisation when when people are arguing with me at length about the value of a scrum master, it tells you something about the, the company D DNA, do they really even believe this stuff? Do they think that this is even worthwhile if they're not willing to invest people yeah. in the time yeah. to actually do it properly? Yeah. What's, what are some of the signs that you see fairly early on where you think, do you know what, this isn't going to work here? Well, if, if people say to me, before I even walk in the room, we know that we're going to adjust this to suit what we need it to do. Or we know that we've been told we're not allowed to do X, and we've been told we're not allowed to have a full-time role here. We're told we're supposed to do our day jobs as well. That's a bit of a red flag to me to say this is going to be a tough a tough gig. But um, Mitch, you've seen a lot a lot of teams, a lot of organisations, what are the red flags to you? Agile project manager. What, that role already, already existed? Yeah, or well, they're making that role up. Putting the word agile in front of other words to somehow make it agile. So, um, business analysts playing product owners, but not actually being product owners. And they could make good ones, but it's not powerful enough. Um, 
uh, um, non full time teams. So that's getting rarer and rarer, thank God. But say, oh, I'm on multiple teams, massive red flag. Um, things like architecture teams, scrum managers. Yeah, um, loads that. of middle management. People that, just people that, I don't, this, is, this is perhaps a bit, a bit harsh of me in a, in a training capacity, but people that just regularly get the name wrong. Which maybe it's just a memory thing that we can't remember them probably, but people also refer to them as product managers or scrum managers or uh, scrum owners or yeah. product facilitators and all this stuff. Am I really not, not being related in that? My issue in terms of like, actual organisations is just people not taking it seriously wearing like a hat, changing it like a fashion. Yeah. Um, it's just another court There's loads of middle management. There's loads of middle management like trying to organise the change to the teams. There's too much top-down agile these days, my way or the highway. Yeah. Senior boss wants agile, loads of people told to do it. And it ends up happening to the teams rather than done by the teams. And, and that, that's horrible. We don't, not, the fact of the matter is, and it's a horrible fact, if you go agile properly, there is a slimming of the middle management management body. There should be, yeah. There should be. That's right? a healthy thing. But you can get things like, and the trouble for me these days is you get things like safe, which are giving an official excuse to leave lots of middle management roles hanging around. It's much more, palette, it's much more palatable, isn't yeah. it? It's like, you know, there's a, there's a quote in this, on the safe documents I, I, uh, I tweeted the other day. Uh, something about, I can't remember the exact quote, so the safe guys can shout at me. I'm sorry, guys. So it's something like um, system architect, you know. System architect, as they say, the best requirements in architectures come from self organizing teams. Yeah. And the system architect is on the scrum team of teams. Thus, he's on a team with other scrum masters, etc. Thus, he's on a self-organising team. Yeah. Thus, the architect. It's kind of like you know. It's it's. It, um. I think I saw a quote by Kent Beck. It wasn't his quote. He just quoted years ago on Twitter, saying, "Um, like the devil reads the Bible. Someone who reads through all the detail minutiae to to find the gaps and find the holes and or twist it, twist it. Yeah. And it feels. And it's probably not intentional. I know the guys behind it have got good intentions, but it feels a lot like that. And people do that at the best of times. And now the methods out there to do that semi-efficiently. Do you think we're going to see more a rise, you know, could that safe kind of approach rise next year? Yeah, even yeah, more? yeah, safe will go more and more. You think? Yeah, yeah, because it, it's not really changing anything. They even say we're not changing anything. Um, that Jira will be more popular, um, the consulting firms are going to have their own options. So did you see that Deloitte landscape? Yeah. Well, I, I thought that might have been a joke. No, it's Was probably, that true? Well, no, some people are like, you know, like Jeff. Like yeah. yeah. But people like Ron, Jeff, is a Making a good point, at least they're trying to visualize agile, which I think is a good idea, but it just feels so all encompassing, top down, and just I, again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna imagine good intentions. Um, something like that may be useful, but not quite in that way. But again, you get the wrong end of the stick, or you. For me, the issue, and I'm going to stop talking in a second, it's not just about the thing, it's about the, not just the intent behind the thing, but the kind of like unintentional intent the thing can give. So a lot of techniques, they're not saying do X, but there's like an unintentional wink to them saying do X. Like Jira. It doesn't say you should trace all your resources in your project, but it kind of hints towards that and leads towards people doing that. Safe kind of leads towards a heavyweight, large-scale, minimal structure. And it's just, you know, so even Scrum used to do it, it's all hint that you engineer practices don't matter. Yeah. Not intentional, but there's, there's a hint there, and I just think we as coaches, more than ever, need to focus less on mechanics, less even on principles, and more on tone of 
implementation, yeah. the subtle nuances, the subtleties, the subtle spin on the ball, so to speak. But I don't know how you charge for that, how you get bought in for that, how companies communicate that. I don't have an answer for that. It's a slight, slight off-topic tangent, but something you talked about, one of these red flags, Jeff, um, came up to me in a, di a different course recently. One of the delegates came up to me afterwards and said, I w we went through something as an example in the course, and it was about tasks, writing tasks in sprint backlogs. And part of what the exercise we did was to write some tasks for yeah. something they were about to do. And they said to me afterwards, we got a lot, we found that really useful to work out what was required as a team, etc., etc. And they said, uh, but we're not allowed to do that. We're told, we are, these are the words that they use, we're told not to write tasks. And that, for me, that, at that point, that was, a, that was a bit of a red flag for me, yeah. is to, you're being told, yeah. first I said, who told you? And it was my boss. Um, why would they, why were you told them to do it? Because it doesn't add value. And that's, for me, again, that's like you said about top yeah. down, yeah. Yeah. basically saying, I've read the book, this is how I want to do it, yeah. follow my instructions. Doesn't add value to who? Yeah. Exactly. But it is. What was that? Was that a question? Or was that it was a question that I would ask in that yeah. situation. Mm. But it's like, so my big thing, which I was not going to reveal, but I will reveal now, which I've been thinking about for years and I'm still struggling to communicate how to do it, is Scrum in three dimensions. Like your Scrum in 3D. The idea we do this two-dimensional picture of Scrum, it's very sequential, do it like this, but in fact it's three-dimensional, right? depending on your experience, your knowledge, your background, you do certain things in certain different ways. Like as Paul said there, if you're an experienced team, you work together forever, yeah, you different. may not task, may you? Yeah. But the new team, tasking is a vital component. Tasking is not right or wrong, it depends on where you are on that journey. And some way of communicating, not time in terms of like, like vision, what a backlog, what through, but time in terms of where you are on that journey, how deep or shallow yeah. you do certain things, is missing. I'm sorry, I've got a little quest out there. If anyone knows an, a 3D animator, someone who can draw something as a 3D model, please stay get in contact with Nigel E. Baker on Twitter. Because um, I keep asking people, and I don't find anyone who can do a 3D model. So what I'm trying to do is think, maybe can I visualize it 3D? So we don't have this two-dimensional picture, but we have the third dimension, yeah. how things alter, like what you're describing there, and add some more nuance to these complex conversations we're trying to have. But when a team says to me, we've got value from doing that, then that's yeah. a good reason for me for then you should probably do it. Yes. It's that you're, here's a good indication of what stage you're at, yeah. if you yeah. can define what you're getting value from. How much should we write down? Mm. Well, <laughs> how long is a piece of string? And so, but I think and then you get my issue again with the Scrum community is too much feudalism. So <coughs> too much my technique's better than your technique. You know, oh, I'm, I'm terrible for it. I don't. I'm a Scrum. I'm, no, I'm a Scrum person. Right? I like Scrum, but I'm open-minded to everything. I like drawing on from it all. But I always get annoyed when people distill out tweets that don't aren't true. You know about a variety of agile things. And I always get a little bickering because you can't win a bicker on Twitter, can you? Really, 140 characters. The best you can do is block them after they've irritated you. But I just, it's, it's, um, it's people miss the deep nuance of Scrum and thus discount it too swiftly. And I think, in general, there's a lot more to agile than just the ceremonies, the the artifacts, you know, the roles. And understand that deep nuance is a bit more, more interesting for some of us. I don't know who. But, uh, <laughs>
So what do you, do you have any predictions for 2017? Predictions? You already said that Safe's probably going to carry on. Yeah, any, other, any other predictions? Uh, there's a few things brewing out there, isn't there, in terms of, um, again, size, who cares, you know? I think a lot of big projects should die, probably. They've got a thousand people on them, because they've got a thousand people on them, not because they need a thousand people. Um, more disruptive technologies, more startups, more, for me, getting more involved in those places. I've been an enterprise man, what, for now, how many years have we been doing this? Long, long, long time. Uh, I think for me, what's slightly more interesting is more product management, product focused startups type space. So I think that seems to be growing. I'm, see, I'm seeing a lot more better product, product people. Yeah. Like, yeah, I agree. And that's in a training and a coaching capacity that people that have now appreciated that, okay, this, let's, let's listen to this whole agile thing as a product, people in the, someone in the product area, and say, okay, how can I do my job differently? And actually then applying it, rather than preaching to these people, people are actually practicing it, which is nice. We were talking on the train on the way up about a few things that can't go on a podcast, yeah. but about ex-managers um, we used to work with back in the old BT days, and I had forgotten some of their bad behaviours it was so bad and it's like wow people really were sociopaths and to see even with the bad managers I see out there they're not that bad no. you know they're and so with product people you said um, I think one of the last podcasts we did maybe, maybe I was on it maybe I wasn't I can't remember but about the Schwaberist us versus them mentality you know tech versus business it seems to be dying off in a rate of knots yeah I agree with that so that's really good as well really good as well of course there's always isolated pockets but that's a really good trend as well for me. Still no real success stories from as you can't see me doing the inverted combo finger movement here, but the business. Uh, I was asked by somebody for some some people from the product space who managed to turn around an organization, make them more agile, to come in and talk to their company about it. There aren't very many people out there with with that kind of story to tell, are there? And I know when we were in Prague speaking to Howard. Munich. Munich. Yeah, I'll edit, I'll edit that back, Jeff. Don't worry. I, know, I know when we were speaking in Munich. That's the one. We're speaking to Howard. Sublet. Howard Sublet. But uh, that's perhaps the big thing that's stopping Agile yeah. from crossing the chasm is those big success stories from the business side, the product side of organisations. Still a bit lacking there. No, it's true. Yeah, well, I think for me, it's, again, people like stories, but they tend to do like the Beowulf type story. You know, the heroes and the villains. And so a lot of business successes seem to be subscribed to individuals and their heroic actions are not enough to the methods and posters that help them get there. You know, Apple's always a classic one. Steve Jobs invents it all. <laughs> he doesn't have found wheel behind it, you know. Um, but we don't get to see that mechanics or minutiae. So I agree with you, it needs to be more. But we're making steps. Companies, for me, companies are getting better at getting agile. Slowly and grindingly. Yeah. And that's my fear of things like Jira, Safe, etc. Um, giving them safe pathways to comfortable failure rather than difficult 
challenging, yeah, difficult, challenging, successful pathways. Yeah, that was always to me the big yeah. attraction. But bearing in mind the first part of this podcast, where I told you how extreme I can be, I'm a big fan of kill or cure. I'm a big fan of sink or swim. You know, if, you, if your project's going to die, let's kill it early. Yeah. If it's not going to die, let's find out early. Yeah. Let's not keep going and then eventually it'll wither out. Yeah, that actually reminds me. So, um, just a small thing, but completely. Um, I was asked to do some article for the Agile Vox magazine or something. I think Jeff, you've written something long in there. Yeah. As always, I get your scraps. Something wrong. Long. 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 No, it was um, like 30 words or less or something like that. That's uh, all I yeah. Well, I've got 500 words. Okay. It's some sort of coaching thing. I, you'll see when it comes out. But when I was describing the, uh, someone in a team coaching a certain situation, when I started describing what I would do, I realised over the years, and I don't know when it happened, I've completely changed my approach to coaching from basically being that fail safe, keep the team safe, make sure they don't make mistakes, support them, to being safe to fail. Yeah, let them try and fail. They'll discover, it's only two weeks. Let them learn for themselves. Rather than point it out and make a big thing, let them just try it, inspect and adapt. I think maybe since I've had kids, I think maybe. I've, I've said the story before about my, my oldest daughter, uh, Darcy. She was in the kitchen a couple of years ago, trying to touch the oven. And I said, don't touch the oven, it's hot. And she was like, okay, daddy. And I said, promise you won't touch the oven? Yes, daddy. Promise? Yes, daddy. And I turn away. Ah! Did you touch the oven? No! <laughs> touch the oven. But the point was, I knew the oven wasn't that hot. You know what ovens are like. They're not like welding the child's hand to it, Freddy Krueger style. <laughs> They're, you know, like the scold- not even burnt her, just scolded. Yeah. But now she doesn't touch the oven. And so, uh, by experiencing that herself, she really embedded the learning, rather than me, say, oh, don't do that, that's a bit dangerous, you know. And so I think more of my coaching is going that way. Yeah, try it, fail it, it's okay, that's good enough for now. Whoops, you discovered something. Um, I think you must have said similar before, Jeff, Um, but again, hard to sell. It's easy to sell as a separate entity, going in, having all the knowledge. You said before, senior agile coaches, brainiac. Yeah. Well, in fact, you, you said yes all the time, Jeff, about, you know, you shouldn't have all the answers, you know, have respect for the people you're coaching and give them space. I think totally that's where I've gone. In some respect, surely, as a coach, being more junior, doesn't that help you in some ways? How could, how could a lack of experience and a lack of authority and a lack of knowledge be more useful to you than someone who... Because you wouldn't get led down a certain path. You wouldn't get told to do something a certain way. I think, going right back to the very first team that I was part of, the fact that I wasn't very experienced, the fact that I didn't know what I was talking about, didn't have really any real authority, allowed those technical experts to step up and and take things on. My, my job was basically to protect them from the crap that was going on in the organisation. Take stuff away from them that, yeah. But, but correspondingly, as one of those technical guys, you had charisma, you had a bit of vision, and you had weight. And that was very useful. So I remember having a conversation with you many years ago saying, Jeff, what should I do next? And you said something like, what do you think you should do next? <laughs> and I thought, Fucking hell, Jeff. I couldn't say that. I was like, okay, what should I do next? But I think only only Nixon could to China. Only because you had that weight did I think, yeah, that's a good point. Because I saw one organisation make their junior team members scrum masters. Yeah. And they could facilitate the meetings well, yeah. but there was no change agent, no... But Ivan Lendl used to be the coach of Andy Murray. 
Yeah. Not to teach him tennis, but because he had weights. I don't know if the weight is useful or not, but it seems, I don't know, there's an aspect for me there of coaching, like, you want to feel like, the, even though not telling you what to do, you want to feel like that person knows, you know, has support, and, you know, rather than just being a child. Would you want an 18-year-old? What, what I'm hearing from Nice there is that that person, when they, when they say they have confidence in you, you have to believe that they have confidence in you. Not yeah. that I'm just, I don't know, yeah. I'm yeah. going to throw it onto you. Genuinely believe that yeah. you have the right answer, yeah. the capacity with you. saying that, so I'll give you a different example. And again, I know a lot of our examples, Jeff, go back to sport and we do a lot of sport, but I played rugby at the weekend. And there was a great mix of, I'm a, I'm a 38 year old rugby player. Let's say I'm heading towards the twilight of my rugby career. Rugby no. career. no, I can't believe that. You're slimmer and fitter than you've <laughs> ever been for years. I was one of the older players on the pitch. But a load of lads came back from kind of college, university, let's put them typically 18, 19 years old, right? So they're very good players, very talented players, a lot more energy, a lot more fitness than I have. But And there's a, there was this kind of mutual, on the pitch, there's this kind of mutual respect that if they gave me some advice, I didn't refute it and say, what are you, you don't know what you're talking about. I actually listened to them because they play a lot of rugby in college. Yeah and they know the game, right? There's, it's not like I'm saying, just because I've got 20 years on you, yeah. I know I've got 20 years more of game yeah. time on the pitch. Yeah. I'll still listen. Yeah. You can still listen to someone who's more junior than you. Yeah. It might be that, you know, I, th I think yeah. all of those different yeah. angles, junior yeah. or senior, are always gonna be beneficial to hear. Yeah. And if there's a mutual respect amongst those two roles, I don't yeah. see why both roles can't, why a junior guy can't take a more senior role yeah. and why senior, person can't take more junior one. So when you say that junior or senior, do you mean, is that, is that synonyms for older and younger? Because what no, you're describing, yeah, you're describing people who are younger, I mean, it's similar, like game, similar game, game, yeah. game time. Yeah, yeah similar game skill. Expert, game, yeah. On the, minutes on the pitch. Yeah. Not yeah. necessarily, yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean age. Yeah. Because I think, for me, it was the minutes on the pitch, which is the interesting thing, you know. Maybe not, not it's, yeah. age, you know. But also, but you, you mentioned about yeah. having kids. Yeah. Which isn't necessarily minutes on the pitch or age. No. It's just life expense. Yeah. For me, that's minutes on the pitch. <laughs> well, <it laughs> is. But you could have, you could have a but kid it's at different. 16, you could have a kid at yeah. 56, yeah. or whereas... Different yeah. challenges, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mick Jagger, yeah. 76. Yeah. The amount of, uh, yeah, things... It's, it's, it's your resilience to a degree, isn't it? The amount of things that you've had to put up with. Yeah gives you different perspectives on life and, yeah. and, and what your approach, your coaching approach does probably change yeah. based on what you, what's hit you, yeah. literally what's hit you. Yeah. So, and in my case on Saturday I got hit several times. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, so I think it does change your perspective. I think we probably, as much as this is the bumper Christmas edition, we probably do need to to wrap this can up, because this is a good hour. Can we not end with your joke, Jeff? My joke? Oh yes, your Christmas joke, Jeff. Jeff's this got a Christmas joke. Genuinely, I mean, genuinely this will up. make your Christmas. <laughs> build it it's awesome. I was put on the spot. I split my sides listening to this joke. I was put on the spot. Let me just get the pub quiet. Hang on a minute. <coughs> the joke's coming. <laughs> Everyone, the joke's coming. What was it? The more, the more you build it up, the less funny it's going to be. Which <laughs> is what you're exactly trying to do. That's why we're doing But I was put on the spot to come up with a Christmas Agile-related joke. And I think, after you know, five minutes of input on the spot, it was a pretty good effort, and I'm, I'm willing to be told otherwise by, and be shown up by other people's events and efforts on, on Twitter. But um, my, my joke was how do we know Santa likes Scrum because he's a big fan of elf organising teams? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> My side chef, they have splits. That is so humorous. That's incredible. So let's see, what, what have you got? Me? Yeah. Right now, nothing. <laughs> Santa, Santa Christ, everyone, we want on the podcast, tweet any yeah. Santa Agile related or Christmas Agile related jokes, please. And tweet them to at the Agile podcast and we'll retweet anything we get. You guys aren't even going to try after, after the, the ribbing you've given me there. Top of my head. I put myself out there and I get nothing in return but yeah. ridicule. Pregnant pause. Can, you hear, can you hear the silence there? People? Well, if we had been given some warning to come up with a joke, we couldn't come up with a joke if we got no warning at all. So, no. Tumbleweed. Yeah. Anyway, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you very much, Jeff. And uh, we'll wish everyone a very Merry Christmas. Yeah. And a Happy New Year. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, May you all get partridges in your pear trees. Very good.